listener exclusive. Say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one cup. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is my club where I sit down and chat to famous Australians about the clubs they love and sometimes hate. And my guest this week is a former hockey roo and Olympian. She is a media mogul and she's actually the first guest we've ever had on the show who's played the game at the highest level, Georgie Parker. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup. I think you're very confused with who you've got on here. You sure <laughs> you weren't expecting a home and away actress because I don't think the term famous and me, Georgie Parker, should be in the same sentence. But it's a pleasure to be on here. When I did get the email and it said two girls or two guys, one cup, I was <laughs> a little bit worried. But no, it's great to be here and in, in, in the off season of footy, I have every opp- I take every opportunity to talk about it. So it's good to be here. Well, this is the best time of the year, I think, as a supporter, because it's all potential, isn't it? Like everything is just like, it's all like 3K time trials and it's who's burning up the track and the players all come back looking so fit and tanned. And it's like, it's all just possibilities. It's hilarious, isn't it? The media, it's every year, it's like clockwork, January the 2nd, oh, this player is doing extras. It's like, no, no, they're literally just doing their job, guys. Every single player is doing it. And if you don't, you don't get a job next year, you don't get a contract. So it's the most annoying time as a former athlete myself, I just cringe at some of the headlines that are going on. But you're right because every team at the moment is on that even playing field really. In I mean, we like to think that, don't we? I mean, we know that, you know, Saints aren't really going to get a run on the board next year. But, you know, that's fine. We like to pretend. We have a few little months where you feel as though maybe, just maybe this could be the year and there's certain clubs that maybe know more than others that that's a reality. But others, you know, like to live in that fantasy land just for a couple of months. Well, it's that cognitive bias, isn't it? Like you're so focused on your team and you're assuming that, oh, just because I watched like that, you know, uh, match simulation and, you know, the players did really well, you're just ignoring the fact that there's like 17 other clubs that are doing exactly the same thing with new draft picks and everything, trying new tactics. Because no, it's just my team that's doing really well. Oh, exactly. And my draft picks are the best draft picks. We're going to ignore the fact that Nick Dacos is going to be one of the best players we've ever seen. No, 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 no. Of course, me as a crow, I hate that our number one, the top draft pick we've nearly ever had has just wanted to quit footy. We'll pretend that didn't happen and we'll go, yeah, Rochelle, he's the one. He's the one that's going to save the club. You just go into pick pick and choose what you want to read and see um, and you just hope that none of them um, get stuck at Revolver upstairs at Sunday at, <laughs> at 10am. That's what you're just hoping. You're hoping you've got no Jordan to goies and a million everyone else. So <laughs> it's a fingers crossed waiting game really. Well, I, I've always wanted to ask because, you, as I mentioned, you are the first person who's come on the show who's actually played, you know, at the highest level. And I've always wanted to know, so you're a you're dyed-in-the-wool Crow supporter and then when you actually get drafted, it's to, it's to Collingwood. So was there ever an opportunity that you could have been drafted by the Crows? Yeah, there was. I actually had the opportunity. I was speaking with the Crows, but I really wanted to be in Melbourne. It's where I really wanted to live and base my life and set up my after-sport life. So 
it was an option um, and it was really, really hard. And I remember I told my 99-year-old grandpa, grandpa, I'm going to be playing footy. And he goes, oh, that's amazing. I said, oh, for Collingwood. And he, he literally threw his arms up in the air, not Collingwood. So I did break his heart, <laughs> didn't get to live long enough to see me play. So maybe that's a blessing, but it was it was really hard. And now that I've finished playing and I didn't play for very long, but finished playing and I still have a soft spot for Collingwood and it's a really win-win or a lose-lose depending on what way you want to look at it when they play each other. My friends love telling me that um, I've got five teams that I play that I get to go for and um, when the season comes around. But, I mean, you don't forget your childhood club. I don't think you do that. But then when I speak to so many guys who play, you don't forget the club that drafted you either. So particularly the guys who have really long careers, you fall in love with that club that gave you that first opportunity to run through the banner um, with that song blaring and I never, ever thought I'd be able to, you know, support Collingwood. But when I played my first game, it was just when Crows broke everyone's heart after the 2017 grand final. It was a really easy year to jump off the Crows bandwagon. Easy then, 2018 was a great year for Collingwood. It was an easy year to jump onto theirs. And so how did you find like walking to the biggest club in Australia? Like what was that like? I mean, you know, you had ambitions obviously of coming to Melbourne, but were you prepared for just how big a monolith Collingwood is? Oh, and just how diehard their fans are. Like you see right. on a Thursday night the the supporters, the fan club there making the banner and I just think to myself, my God, I wish I loved anything, literally anything <laughs> as much as these guys love Collingwood. I actually can't fathom how big and far and wide these clubs go and just how, you know, think of Eddie Maguire, how much pull he's got anywhere in the land as well. Like it's such a big club and so integrated into that Melbourne life. I mean, and I lived in Perth for a really long time as well. They're obviously really focused on just their one team and the whole, it's a fishbowl. Mm. So it's a completely different kettle fish over here in Melbourne and Collingwood itself, just the brand of Collingwood is just gigantic. And I probably wasn't I knew that it was that big, but I probably didn't really quite understand until you were walking around with the Collingwood on you and the the different types of good and bad looks you get from saying that you play for them. <laughs> and so going back to Adelaide, how were you brought into the Crows fold? Was it a family thing or did you have – because I'm always fascinated with some families where you'll have like every sibling has a different team or mum and dad have different teams and that was just inconceivable in my house. And I, I come from a family of like nine – Children and we were. That's too many children, Charlie. Too many <laughs> Catholics. <laughs> Can you pick it? <laughs> but there was no chance that I could have barracked for anyone else. It was just like, no, no, no. Like, if you want to be disowned, you'll barrack for another team. Otherwise, you're a Saints supporter. Well, so, was your family all crows, or were you just were you given the independence to pick whoever you wanted to barrack? Well, there's certain teams I really respect their supporters of. By the way, St Kilda and North Melbourne, two absolutely nothing clubs, and their fans are so diehard. So, I do respect you and well done for sticking through obviously no flags and so I really respect that but um we have one Georgie we have one and this is by the way it's our 150th year this so like we've been around for a long time exactly and only one flag that's what's quite incredible about it no but um growing up I mean I was in Adelaide in the country when did they come in 1990 so I was one when they came in and that was the team you went for. In terms of Sandful, my mum and dad had two different teams. My dad was a Port Adelaide supporter and my mum, absolute diehard North Adelaide Roosters supporter. So, you know, I love the Roosters. I would go to Sandful games there. Um, I think the Sandful and the Waffle have such rich, rich history. The VFL does as well, but it's shifted into the AFL and they love 
telling you history from the VFL and pretending it's part of the AFL. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not really comparable. I mean, growing up, absolute, we lived in the country, came up every second weekend to watch the Crows play up in the city. I just was obsessed with them. I had my hair cut like Sean Wren uh, <laughs> find me. <laughs> in an era of... Tony Modra, I've chosen Sean Wren. It doesn't make any sense to me as a female adult, but look, as an eight-year-old girl, uh, I was obsessed with him, obsessed with the team, um, obsessed with the sport and um, just at the time was the wrong gender, unfortunately, to be able to pursue that love. But um, I got to do that as an adult, which is pretty cool. But my dad and my sister are now Port Adelaide supporters, so it makes for a a little bit of interesting uh, conversation a couple of times a year. Do, do, Do you dub Christmas lunch the showdown? (laughs) <laughs> no, but it's it's funny. We we love bringing out tops and things like that. It's a, it, so when, it's so, so when your dad so can't stupid. make lunch or whatever, you just you just pull like a tarp over the seat just with the Port Adelaide, yeah. Port Adelaide logo on it. <laughs> That's it. Sponsored. What's it sponsored by this? Yeah. Uh, so, no, nah, it, it, it's good fun though. And I think, um, I mean, footy, what, what's that quote? Sport is the most important, non-important thing in the world and when it comes to family rivalries over a game of football it's so stupid but my goodness it's so fun um but that's Adelaide as well same as WA it's Perth it's that two weeks a year where it's only about you you don't have Victorians coming in Mm. and um bringing over any of that Victorian smell so it's (laughs) nice to have it's nice to have a couple of weeks where it's just you and and your folk next door well I wasn't expecting you to insult not only St Kilda and North Melbourne but all of Victoria in the first 10 minutes I said I <laughs> I said I respected you. I thought I find them fascinating, North Melbourne particularly. Like they're so loyal. I really respect that because there's so many times you could just go, what am I? I mean, you probably do this. Do you at times go, let's flip the, the narrative here. Let me interview you. At times you just go, what am I doing? Every year, Georgie. <laughs> Every year. It's, it's like you gaslight yourself. I mean, I've been to three I've been to four grand finals. Well, like I've been to I've been to three grand finals and a drawn grand final. And like each year the year ends and I'm like, oh God, maybe I'm done. Like it's pretty much been like I've I've been following football since I was six years old. So, you know, like a long, long time. And but every year it's like I always say it's like dating someone who breaks your heart at the end of the year. And then over summer, they come back and they're like, hey, you know what? I've changed. You know, I've turned things around. This year, I'm going to be the perfect partner. And you're like, all right, I'm going to give you one last shot. And then they go and do exactly the same thing again. It's like, They'll what's start happened? 5-0. and oh, They'll start solid. And we did that. <laughs> then they'll just forget. Last year was like 8-3. Exactly. and three. And I remember I saying to my wife, like, because she doesn't really have much of an interest in football. And I was like, oh, the Saints are 8-3. and three. We can't possibly miss finals from this position. Sure enough, <laughs> we miss finals. It's it's funny. It's like if you go for the Saints, you just go, you want to make some money, put money on that team because we're definitely going to lose that. We can't win that. You might be playing the worst team. Last year playing West Coast. <laughs> and like, it's just so funny that just the little faith you have in them but you just keep coming back. They give you enough. They give you enough. I find them fascinating. Well, so how about Adelaide then? So in the, in the last few years, so since you mentioned it, since 2017 when they've, they've fallen off the perch, and this is sort of uncharted territory for the Crows because in their entire time in the AFL, they've been relatively successful apart from maybe, you know, the first three or four years, but there's been an, a, a sort of standard of excellence. Maybe you'll sort of drop down to the middle of the table, but then to fall off the perch so badly and actually start a rebuild. I mean, what's that experience been like from your perspective as a supporter? Yeah. And it was really, um, 
disappointing because it's felt so mental rather than their capabilities. You don't go finishing top of the ladder one year being so good and really if you can go back into what ifs or you like, if Geelong had made that final rather than Richmond, you'd think they probably would have made it. Dusty Martin didn't play. you think they could have won that grand final in 2017. But to go from being so good to being so poor within one to two years, it doesn't make sense and really disappointing. And so you think, what's the problem here? And that's all unfolded over the last year or two, um, particularly with Eddie Betts' book coming out, the article Sam McClure of his investigative journalism, there are so many reasons where you look back and be really disappointed in how they handled that loss. Uh, it didn't need to be the end of the world. It didn't need to be a rebuild from losing a grand final, yeah, pretty poorly, but it doesn't need to be anything. It's going to be interesting to see how Sydney come back from this. They hopefully learn from Crows and probably GWS as well. But that was probably the most disappointing thing, uh, the fact that it was everything to do with the club and how they made the guys their mental capability rather than their physical and actual football skills. So um, you're right, we haven't had periods in our you know, existence where we have been so poor for so long and not be able to get that, not to be somewhat of a destination club either. That's another thing where players are coming over and go, I'd rather play for Port Adelaide than for the Crows. That was also quite disheartening as well as a fan. And that's what I said, it was very easy to jump off after 2017 and even easier over the last year when you read some of the horrific things that the players had to do. And more and more of those stories will come out as those players get um, retire, like Josh Jenkins, for example. Now that he's out, he feels as though he can say things and what happened and what was wrong and what they did try to rectify and weren't able to. So really disappointing. I just hope that, you know, the Crows learn from but other clubs learn from it, you know, a la Sydney after their pretty awful loss last year. It's funny, I, when I was sort of just, um, when I say research, when I was preparing my five-minute preparation for this show, I was actually surprised to learn that the Crows won eight games last year because I, I, in my head I sort of felt like it had been a worse year. I mean, I know a lot of the predictions before 2022 was they're going to finish last or, you know, second last or, or whatever, but eight wins is actually not bad considering where they've come from and what they've brought in. And then obviously, you know, the highlight of the season probably would have been the first showdown, you know, Jordan Dawson's kick after the siren. Like there's there's actually a lot to – I think people have been down on the Crows mainly for everything you've just talked about, the stuff that's sort of off-field. But actually on-field hasn't been too bad a, a rebuild so far. Only last year. Last year was the first year where you felt – okay, this is the characteristics of the club that we know, the ones that don't roll over and go, ah, that's us done now, that's us done. Um, I mean, I'd like to point out that we did beat the Demons in their premiership year, so that was nice. But, uh, yeah, again, and I think that comes from that mental resilience that they're trying to learn and and instil into these boys as well. And, And you're right, last year was an okay year. We finished bottom middle as opposed to bottom you know, um, but in saying that there were play, where, were teams that were shocking last year and I think the teams that didn't handle um, the COVID situation as well either. So certain teams probably did overachieve in that period and certain teams underachieved. Um, Crows, I think, maybe were a victim of that, a really young list going through a lot of things within the club, so it probably doesn't help their situation on field either um, because it's an easy excuse, oh, put your hands up, no, I'm away from home, no this, no that. Um, so it's a little bit disappointing. But last year was the first year where you just saw a change in 
how they were on the field for all four quarters. And I think it goes from going from one to two to three to four quarters until you become a premiership side. And so you would have been, I assume, too young to have gone to 97, 98. You weren't, you didn't come over for those grand finals. Uh, well, no, I was eight and nine uh, and that was back in the days where it wasn't internet booking for tickets. So I remember when they made the final and I was there, I I was given the fax machine to be pressing redial on to try to call Ticket Tech. So everyone oh, to engage back onto the fax machine again. So we had the two mobile phones of the family, the home phone and the fax machine was what we were dealing with. No, I didn't end up going, unfortunately. Um, I've been to, probably like you've been to a few grand finals, but only the one of the Crows and um, a really disappointing one. You know, I thought in uh, up until the halftime, like, no, no, it's fine because I kept going back to 97 where we were behind and then suddenly they turned it on. Obviously, it got about six minutes into the third quarter and I thought, no, this, is, uh, this isn't our day and started trying to make other plans of what I was going to do that night because it was going to be commiseration plans as opposed to celebration plans. Um, and then the next year I go to the one with Collingwood in and that was when I was a Collingwood player. They lost. So and then, then obviously I, then I start hating Richmond, so I'm going for GWS the next year and then GWS lose. I just can't go to a winning final. So... Look, it's it's going to be it was, a, it was a tough couple of years, but didn't get to go to a winning one. It's hard to work out. Was it Georgie Parker or was it the power stance? One of those two things yeah. clearly it's derailed the, the, the most, derailed the grand final. It's the most embarrassing thing that I think our club's done the power stance more so than the actual grand final performance. Yeah, I, I think in well, maybe it was '97. I can't remember which Saints grand final it was, but we pioneered. It was an arms around each other kind of pose that no team had done before. I think maybe it was 97 where they all, all the players put their arms around each other for the national anthem. And then I remember losing and I was like, well, no team will ever do that again. But I think teams have done that after before grand finals now. They still interlock arms. But I don't think the power stance will ever come back. No, I don't, I don't think so. It's, it's very funny when you're getting the really little small forwards doing this power stance. <laughs> yeah, like, no. Right. Eddie, look at your cute little face. It doesn't work for you, my friend. I like what you're trying to do, but you're not terrifying. You're terrifying in your pocket. That's the only spot. So I'm always interested too when people talk about like the culture of a club, like there's certain kind of baked in ideals or or, or values of a club. Because I find it fascinating that like you can have players come and go, administrations come and go, but there's certain things like the Bloods culture of Sydney, you know, or, you know, the arrogance of, of, of Carlton or something like that. What would you say is the, is the culture of Adelaide? Like if, if you had to sort of pinpoint it to a few things, what would be the culture of the Crows? Yeah, I I think you're right in that um, those cultures of the clubs as opposed to the players. It's very different to sports like basketball where you follow players around. You don't do that in footy. It's very faux pas to do that. And it comes from that of what the values, you know, Hawthorne have their family values. And, I, and this is what was probably so disappointing over, you know, the period, the last five or so years where you felt as though they were meant to be a family club and an inclusive club and they lost that. And that's what was so disappointing and you've got to be forgiving and hopefully that, you know, they can instill those back. But I always thought it was passionate and all-encompassing of this really proud footy state. We were the state that we were 
the first club in the big state that love footy. And so we were wanting to be encompassing of that entire state and that's what was so disappointing after 2017 because they obviously weren't and, and you can read that in Eddie's book here. Uh, yeah, I guess it's that. And, again, what was disappointing, their, their resilience. I feel like they didn't have that. We were always around the mark. We always made it difficult for clubs. We played a, a fast, powerful brand of footy. We had high flyers but we were still a really team-oriented sport, uh, a team, I guess, as opposed to we weren't relying on a Buddy Franklin or we're not relying on a Dustin Martin. We had superstars continually wanting to be there and I think, yeah, it, it, they come and go and good clubs don't lose that. The, sw- the Swans don't lose that. Hawthorne mostly didn't lose that again. They're, they're starting to come in trouble as well, but those good clubs don't lose that um, and that's why you stay good for a long period of time because that's what brings players to your club, particularly players ending their career. They want to play in a place that is a good place to play footy and you can stay longer at those places as well. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you're right. Like when I think about, you know, sort of maybe the, the 2000 era Crows, like the Crowbots, like, you know, the Neil Craig Crows, it was really about role players and it wasn't really about – you had obviously superstars in that team, but it was very balanced. But then you sort of think about different eras of the Crows. Like you mentioned Tony Modra. I mean, it doesn't get more rock star than that, like a high-flying, good-looking, like glamour full forward. I mean, what was that like being in Adelaide in the era of Godra? Oh, but that's what's so amazing about that. He wasn't the best player in the side. He was, like you said, such a glamour. He – was everything that ticked that box. He was Bailey Smith before Bailey Smith was even thought of, you know. Can you imagine Tony Modra being alive when social media was around? It is insane to even think of. But we had so many of those players. We had Andrew McLeod. We had... Darren Jarman. We had, oh, yeah. I'm familiar with Darren Jarman. I was there in 97. (laughs) You know, we had so many players that, you know, if it wasn't Tony Modra taking marks and, you know, kicking goals, it was Tony, um, it was Darren Jarman doing that on the floor. You had Bickley and Rusciuto. You Mm. had my guy, Sean Wren, who, you know, I I think the Ruckmans are the most important players on the field. Uh, There's so many players that all were doing their roles and, God, they were good, weren't they? And it was that period where they weren't quite, I mean, they were professional full-time athletes, but they didn't really act like it. It was like the cricketers of the 90s as well, you know. They had a different aura around them. They were still more relatable than what they are now, but at the same time you had them on this huge pedestal. It was a really bizarre little period of sport, I think, where you can't probably replicate that now because now it's a completely different level kettle of fish. Yeah, and I guess there was that sort of ruthlessness too of that late 90s period where, you know, Modrum he was injured for the first for 97 and then oh, admitted yeah. for, for 98. And it's just so like, cause you think about the Crows in the nineties, he, he was the face of the team, but obviously like when it comes to team balance or if you have to actually make the hard calls, Malcolm Blight was like, he's just not, he's not the, he's not in the best 22. Yeah. Well, that's how a cruel sport is. And I mean, I'm, that's footy and that's why I'm very against um, that whole you know, every year, like I said, it's all like clockwork at the start of the year of who's training the house down. Come September, it's like clockwork. Should every player get a medal who played that year? Like, no, you didn't. You shouldn't because that's the beauty of sport is that these stories come out and those tough luck stories of Tony Modra never won a flag even though he was there, you know, 
like you said, the face of a team, but he never won a flag. That's how tough it can be. And, you know, mine's even more amplified with going to the Olympics. We've got to be good two weeks out of a four-year period. And, you know, there are players that get injured or you just don't play well that fortnight and then suddenly you've worked 20 years to go to this two-week event and suddenly you get nothing. But without those stories, it doesn't make the ones where you win as good. So it's really important that those stories actually exist. So Georgie Park is saying that uh, Olympians shouldn't get participation medals. Is that your controversial take? It's funny. Do you know what? We get participation certificates and I find them absolutely hilarious. (laughs) I wonder where it is. I've got it somewhere. It's hilarious. I'm like, what am I doing? A fun run? Do not give me this. I didn't win anything. My God. Oh, but you got there. Well done. No, I didn't win a medal. I was meant to. Jeepers. I want to forget that. I didn't get that. was quite I didn't win gold, but I won the MS Readathon. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I won that many. I read that many books in one month. Jesus, it's hilarious. Like, it suddenly just got sent to me one day. I'm like, what is this? Oh, embarrassing. So exciting. Uh, uh, we, you know, everyone is burning at the track now, and 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 they're fitter than they've ever been, and have had their best preseason. But it is exciting for the Crows because of one Isaac Rankin. Now, mm, that makes me nervous. Okay, I understand that because he had such a standout year. He's, I mean, it took a long while for Isaac to kind of, you know, reach his potential. And it, he can't, he Has crested he it? and then he's taken the big money offer, gone home, fair enough, everyone understands why. But now there is going to be a lot of attention on him, right? Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely he should have taken that offer. Go home, get your cash. You're only an athlete for a finite period of time, so of course he's going to do it. But it makes me so nervous it's like a number one draft pick of how much attention comes on to you. And we love pumping people up when they're doing well, but my goodness, what we love more than that is shooting them when they're down and they're young. These guys, I forget, and I don't realize now that I'm getting older, do I realize how young they are and how dumb we are when we're that young. And jealousy comes into this of people thinking that they're, you know, making so much money and they're not doing what they're meant to be doing. And, you know, and I don't think that, he is the saviour. He's too small to be the saviour. My goodness, they need to replace Tex Walker. They need to do that and Rochelle is too young to be able to do that. So I get really nervous about the reception he's going to get if he doesn't perform and I hope it pays off. I hope that he comes out and has an Eddie Betts career. I really do. And that would be the, you know, best result for everyone. And, I mean, they did a similar situation with Paddy Dangerfield when he was drafted. He had to stay home for a year. We wasn't able to get him in his first year after we um, picked him and there was a huge uproar because we should have picked Ebert. Ebert obviously had a lovely career at Port Adelaide, but if you're choosing Ebert or Danger, who are you getting? Obviously Danger, you know, but that was a gamble that worked out and I really, really hope that this is a gamble that works out for Rankin for the money that he's getting and I hope it is life-changing for him but in a positive way as opposed to well, you know, yeah, I've got some money, but my God, that was a really tough emotional period of my life. Yeah, it's very rare that a, you build a team around a small forward, no matter how talented they are. I mean, I think that the hope is, like Darcy Fogarty, I think he kicked, what, 33 goals last year. He's doing his apprenticeship under Tex. So hopefully he takes a next step. And so what you've got is that double act. You know, that's what every kind of team wants is that double act. But it's more the... I mean, the funny thing about Isaac Rankin, in the interviews, I've never really seen him be really like ego maniacal or boastful or whatever, but it's the it's the style of player he is. It's the flashy things. It's the things he attempts that that brings all that hate on him. And I'm always like, I, I get annoyed when 
even opposition supporters like rag on a player who tries that because that's what we want. <laughs> like I want more players. You know, it's like Jack Higgins, you know, getting goal of the year when he did that. And people are like, oh, was, was that really a goal? Did he throw the ball before he kicked it? Who cares? It looked spectacular. We want more of that in the game. Exactly. And, I mean, you've got to be able to do it. <laughs> To try it. And that's where some people don't, like, it looks amazing when they do it, but people love, again, to tear them when they're down. So if they don't, if they attempt something when they could have gone for a drop punt, and old, old commentators nowadays love, oh, I would have used a drop pump there, actually. I don't know why they're going around the body. It's like, well, they're better around the body than when you used to be around the body. We're all 10 out of 10 players when we're commentating. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what. It's interesting. We talked about that last year, Will and I, about, you know, the kick around the corner because I think that we, we cut together a, a bunch of clips of different, you know, commentators complaining about the kick around the corner. And then we had someone, some like sports, what is it, biomechanics expert who wrote in to say, actually, like you get more control on the ball when you kick it around the corner. Is that your experience of kicking kicking around the corner? Uh, I I was learning too late to be attempting to kick around the corner, <laughs> I tell you what. But I think that it, it all comes down as well to the confidence. If you've got more confidence to do that, then you do it and you don't know what's going on in their, their mind. Who, who knows? In the end, as long as it's a goal, it's a goal. But um, people love, commentators love saying, what they would have done in that situation when they probably wouldn't have actually done it. It's my my hockey coach always said that uh, he always used to be a better player the longer he was out of the game. He loved telling <laughs> us. <laughs> and he was fitter and faster and way better at everything he did the longer he was out of the game. You forget all the, all the times you stuffed up. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree. Like anytime anyone complains about the game the way it is now, like if you – Everyone talks about the 89 grand final as being like one of the greatest grand finals ever. But when you watch it, it's a much slower game. It's not nearly as fast paced and exciting. And the players are all massive too. Like they're all these gigantic monsters that are sort of lumbering into each other. But I love like the modern game. I love like the the way the players, you know, to, it's funny, they don't have that sort of size they had like 20, 30 years ago, but in terms of the athleticism and what they can do now, it's incredible. Mm. I think nostalgia tricks us. Yeah. With a lot of things. We all think the Bubble Bills are really <laughs> yummy, but they're actually not. They're shit. What you're remembering is being eight-year-olds with no bills to pay. It's the same with thinking about your team. Of course you think it was good because you were younger in your pub with your friends as opposed to dealing with three mortgages. You know, three must be nice. No, I've got none. <laughs> oh, yeah, so your two mobile phones and your three mortgages. Uh, I didn't realise that being like on the armchair experts paid so well. I've got zero mortgages. I never will. I'm obviously part of that era. But, you know, it's... um. You know, that's nostalgia tricks you. Of course, it, you know, bring back the bump. I don't want to bring back the bump if it means that half the team are going to be having head knocks. And it's, it's very, um, it tricks you. And so the modern game is a far superior product. They're far better players. They've got way more skills. Um, you're thinking that every player in the 80s was Peter Dacos. They weren't. There was one Peter Dacos. And so we've got to remember that. And if we're going to. And now there's two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're both superstars, you know. He's gone and doubled himself. So it's, you've got to, um, you've got to actually look at it objectively. Like, yeah, the superstars were great. The superstars in every era would have been great. But whole competition now, way better. Absolutely way better. There's no even question about it. But, you know, you're not going to compare Roger Federer with, you know, Rod Laver. Like it's, it's not fair either. So you've just got to see them for what they are. I think it's we love doing that comparison and we love going back and like, oh, if I was going to SEN particulars, SEN special, oh, let's redraft the 1992 draft. Well, let's not. <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> 
it's very easy in hindsight. So let the eras be themselves and, and just Yeah, I mean, if you ever want to throw back, just watch when they play a game in Cairns when no player can hold onto the ball or keep their feet. And it's like that's what the footy used to look like 30 years ago on a regular basis. <laughs> you sell out. You're exactly. You sell out. You've watched a lot of games up in Cairns. Now, Georgie, uh, we're going to finish up. And in traditional confusing two guys, one cup fashion, um, we like to uh, make predictions based on top six, middle six or bottom six. So for 2023, where do you see the Crows finishing? I see them finishing middle six, but maybe they won't make finals. They won't make finals, but they'll be that middle of the middle six, I think. Okay, so hang on. <laughs> so myself. I reckon that's so about that, so ninth? ninth, tenth, tenth or eleventh. Okay. Oh, and before you go, just quickly, um, what is Crom? Up the Crom. <laughs> it's just a stupid social media thing that somebody um, wrote Crom instead of Crow. <laughs> on a Facebook post. It's so stupid. And then suddenly there's merch being made out of it. Everyone's like up the crom. It is so stupid and makes no sense. And I remember I was doing an ad once and I said, yeah, crom. And they stopped me and said, oh, you actually said crom, not crow? I'm like, yeah, I know. And and they're like, oh, oh, okay, sorry. Uh, It is so dumb. Uh, but anyway, up the crumb. Well, as you uh, mentioned earlier, uh, it is dumb, but also following sport is dumb as well. But we choose to give it meaning because it makes our lives better. Uh, Georgie, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, good luck to the Crows in 2023. Thank you. I hope they finish 10th. <laughs> we are two guys, one car. Listener.